up. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. It's a special episode of the Don't Crack Up podcast, a commuter's podcast. I'm your host, Patrick. Patrick Markey. Glad to be back with you for a very special episode. And what's special about it, you ask? Well, this is the week of February 20th, 2023. And on Friday, February 24th of 2023, Party Down returns to Stars, the Stars Network. Party Down returns with season three, 13 years in the making. So, what's special about this episode? This is being recorded in a world in which only seasons one and two exist as Party Down. That is until Friday. Then the world changes. Now, as you may remember, those of you who have been with me or those of you who are just discovering, all three of you, my loyal listeners, the best people in the world, uh, this began two years ago, almost a full two years ago, and every episode, the few that there have been, have talked about Party Down. We've done deep dives on the show, the characters, individually, the main cast characters, the main cast, and... We are one short, and that is Lydia Dunfrey, played by Megan Mullally. So we need to get that out there today. And why is that? Because, again, as of today, only seasons one and two exist for you and I, the common people to watch. Now, the critics have seen season three, uh, or some of them. There are articles out there. I have not read those. I'm trying to avoid the big spoilers. Uh, so keeping that in mind, would this is it. In a world where seasons one and two are all we know of Party Down, that is until Friday, February 24th of 2023, we need to talk about the show and in some ways put a, a bow on it. This version, this understanding, it's not that season three will change what has happened in seasons one and two, but it may recontextualize them. We may look at them differently. I assume we will based on what happens and what we learned has happened. So... Here's what I want to do today. Three things. One, talk briefly about what's going to happen or a preview or my thoughts on the upcoming show, season three. Two, the deep dive on lead Lydia Dunfrey, played by the great Megan Mullally. And part three, a countdown, a ranking, top five guest stars on seasons one and two of Party Down, the great star show. Remember, Party Down. Seasons 1 and 2 on the Stars Network 2009 and 2010. The show was created by John Enbaum and Dan Etheridge and Paul Rudd and Rob Thomas. So, there will be no spoilers for Season 3, since I don't know what happens. There will be uh, spoilers for Seasons 1 and 2. That's what this is all about. So, warning on that. Spoilers for Season 1 and 2 throughout, throughout the whole conversation. This has been a journey, and I want to put a bow on this. I want to... Get this out there before our understanding of Party Down changes. Thank you for sticking with me. You know, we're seven hours plus talking about the show. Let's go all the way. All right, let's get to it. Here we go. All right. So let's start off with some brief thoughts on the upcoming new season. First of all, I haven't seen it. 
The only thing I have seen is the trailer. And I will just say the trailer's out there. It's prominent. It's on YouTube. It's on websites. You know, you go on uh, New York Magazine, Vulture, whatever. It pops up. There it is. Can't miss it. The only thing I think we know is there's a reunion of some sort. And that's not really a spoiler. That's just kind of setting the tone. So I'm going to stop there. I will say going on uh, Amazon or what have you, if you th there's a thumbnail for it. And if you hover over that thumbnail, there's a brief description of what's going to happen. There are some vague comments that I think could be considered spoiler. So I'm not going to touch on those. You can see those for yourself or not. We're going to find out Friday. So we'll find out soon what happens. Um, we know, first of all, there is no Lizzie Kaplan in the series. So Casey Klein, as far as we know, is not going to be appearing. That will leave some unanswered questions, possibly, but I suspect we'll get answers. Uh, and, you know, that that's tough. The great Lizzie Kaplan, the great Casey Klein, such a critical part of the show. Where do we go without her? Well, I want to say again, trust John Enbaum. He was the uh, he wrote most of the teleplays for the uh, first two seasons. He's credited with them. Of course, he's one of the four principals creators we just talked about: John Enbaum, Dan Etheridge, Paul Rudd, and Rob Thomas. So he's involved in the program. He's running the show. Trust in him. It's going to be good. That's what the critics say. Again, I've just seen the headlines. It seems to be well received. But ultimately, it's about what you and I think, right? Do we enjoy it? Let's find out. So there's no Casey. So that has the opportunity, I think, for some real sadness for Henry Pollard, our main character, as it were, played by the great Adam Scott. But the show's always done that delicate balance of sadness, yet hope and community and, I don't say fellowship or just camaraderie. And so, I, I, you know, I believe they'll balance it. I mean, that is the danger. Here we are 13 years later. And at least in the first two seasons, there's this hope, right? Even Henry, when he's at his lowest as a quote-unquote failed actor, there is still moments of hope. And he has hope for um, a life that he can be content with. And sometimes those hopes are shattered, sometimes not. Um, again, setting the stage for those who don't know, Party Down, what is it? It's a catering crew. And it takes place in the Los Angeles area. And we have a group of people that are aspiring uh, to succeed as actors, comedians, musicians, writers. Uh, and then in the case of Ron Donald, played by Ken Marino, he wants to be successful in business, the catering business, and they are typically unsuccessful. But the show does raise the question, what is success? How do we gauge it? Is it based on who has the, the biggest house? Is it who feels content in what they've done? And so... These are the things we think about. What is success? What is happiness? How do we measure the accomplishments in our life? All these kind of big philosophical questions exemplified, for example, by a character we're going to deep dive on today, Lydia Dunfrey, played by Megan Mullally, who appears in the second season. She raises the point. It's about being practical, having insurance, having uh, rent paid, having cable TV. You know, she she's a... Um, paired off against Constance Carmel, played by Jane Lynch, who is sort of a burned-out um, actor, and and her thing is following your heart. And so we have these two sort of competing philosophies, and the show explores those back and forth throughout. So we'll see where it goes. 
from here. Looking forward, there are many questions that have been lingering for the past 13 years. And I think those questions can really ultimately be lumped into simply saying what happened to each character. When season two ends, Henry Pollard, played by Adam Scott, is trying out for a role in the movie Valour, which he thinks is perfect for him and it's going to get him going again. We don't know if he got it. I guess we're going to find that out. Ken Marino playing Ron Donald, his character, sees an opportunity. Number one, he's got a, a relationship he started. He feels it's his soulmate with the owner's daughter. And also he sees an opportunity to move up uh, in corporate with Party Down, which is what he aspires to, business ownership, management. We'll see what happens. Megan M Mullally's character, uh, Lydia Dunfree, she is the quote-unquote manager for her then-teenage daughter, Escapade. We'll see what happens. We're going to learn all these things. She started a relationship with the then-owner, Bolas Lagash of Party Down. Jane Lynch, playing Constance Carmel. She gets married. Her husband dies at the end of season two. He's a rich man. Does she get the money? We're going to find out. That's ultimately what it comes down to. What happened to the characters? We're going to find out. Roman De Beers, the legendary in his mind science fiction writer, has made his breakthrough piece of writing, which is written down on toilet paper at the end of the second season. Does that happen? Does he break through? I don't know. We'll find out. Kyle Bradway, who knows what's going on with him? He was successful in his own mind. He had his band Karma Rocket. He had some acting gigs. What happens? I don't know. We'll find out. So let's leave it there. I'm excited. Can't wait. I expect I'll watch the episode many times this, this weekend. And maybe I'll be able to pop out a special episode next week to talk about it. I'll try. No promises. You know what? That's a terrible thing to say to the audience. And I'm sorry. But it's truthful. So with that in mind, let's go on ahead. Let's go on ahead and do our final character deep dive. Yes, that's right. A process that started two years ago, seven plus hours of discussion on each character. And I think when I started, I wanted to do all these kind of individual topics about um, episode elements and all these things. But in the end, by doing the deep dive on each of the main cast characters and talking about their character's backstory, their arc, what we learn from them, and kind of going through their general movements uh, throughout the episodes. I think we've covered all these things in my mind. And so I hope you feel the same way. So in some ways, we're putting a, a bow and ending on the first two seasons by doing a deep dive on Lydia Dunfrey, played by Megan Mullally, who appears in the second season as the sixth cast member of the main cast, replacing Jane Lynch as Constance Carmel, whose character left in uh, episode eight of season one, was her last episode, in real life, we learned that that is because um, she got a job with Glee. You can watch on YouTube. There's a reunion panel that was hosted by Vulture. It's really excellent. Go on YouTube. I think it's like just Google Vulture Party Down Reunion. And you get to hear this great discussion kind of going deep into it. And so let's talk about it. Let's talk about Megan Mullally playing Lydia Dunfrey. And then the last thing we're going to do is... A countdown, a ranking, I'm sure you're excited, top five guest stars, but wait, there's a bonus. Even though the great Lizzie Kaplan is not going to be in season three, let's still do an entry on 
the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe. For my loyal listeners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who don't, stay tuned and you'll find out. We'll do that in between the two discussions, in between Lydia and the countdown, the ranking top five. All right, let's go for it. Here we go. Lydia Dumfries, deep dive. So here we are, the last discussion of the main cast for seasons one and two, Lydia Dunfree, played by the great Megan Mullally. And in season two, uh, at least based on Wikipedia, take that for what it's worth as the source, it looks like eight of the ten episodes, the teleplay, is by John Enbaum, and two of them are by Rob Thomas. So keep that in mind as we discuss this character and its... uh, journey through the second season we're going to learn more about lydia because she's back in season three what has happened to her i don't know but to appreciate where she is now we've got to learn where she was so as we do with all these characters uh starting with henry pollard played by adam scott casey klein played by lizzie kaplan ron donald played by ken marino kyle bradway played by ryan hansen Roman De Beers, played by Martin Starr, and the deep dive, the last episode, which just came out, and I apologize due to life and scheduling and things. It took however long, six months plus for it to come out, but you did hear it, or you have the opportunity to hear it if you so choose. Constance Carmel, played by Jane Lynch. So here we are. Season two is what we're focusing on because there is no Lydia in season one. Instead, the sixth member, uh, instead of Constance Carmel, we have Lydia Dunfrey. And it's brilliant. It's, it's so well done, and it brings a new angle to the show. She is coming in as an outsider, and that gets into the origins. Before we do that, I just want to remind, how can you watch this? Well, several ways. Any of the streaming services, I think you, you can buy the show, uh, Amazon, Apple, etc. It's a Stars Network show, so you can subscribe to Stars. That's one way to see it. And then also the DVDs. The cheapest way to see seasons one and two, as far as I can tell, is the DVDs. I recently looked on Amazon, and I think it was less than $10 for both seasons. So if you still have a DVD player, and I hope you do, that's the cheapest way. You can watch it to your heart's content. You can be like me and rewatch it all these countless times that I have and still enjoy it. So... Lydia Dunfrey comes in, and let's talk about her origins. She's certainly an outsider to the crew. The the show takes place in uh, the Los Angeles area. She says that she is from Wapato, and as far as I can tell, based on a Google search, that would be the state of Washington. She has uh, sort of a folksy, almost Midwestern, I guess, uh, demeanor, you might say. And she is seeking fame and fortune, but not through her talents, as a performer per se, but instead she is sort of the pageant mom or the stage mom uh, on behalf of her daughter, Escapade. She is recently divorced or she is divorced. And we learn in her backstory, there's really three people we learn about in her history. One is Ed. That is her ex-husband who we learn apparently is a racist, misogynist, and seems like a generally bad guy. Peg is her friend, who she also calls her special friend after the divorce, and then her mother. And her mother sort of sets a keystone 
uh, of the backstory. We learn in season two, episode two, the Precious Lights preschool auction, that at some point as a child, uh, Lydia had written a letter to the Uncle Fuzzy show to try and be selected to get tickled by him, or that it's 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 really the delivery is incredible. It's one of the great moments of the entire series. And she finds out later that the mother had not even bothered to send it. The mother said the letter was a waste of a stamp. And this sort of becomes a key moment in her upbringing. And so we have this pendulum shift. She says she's going to do whatever it takes to give her daughter the opportunity to be famous or successful. Uh, and so she, you know, she says her daughter's a singer, a dancer, actor, comedian, all these things. So she has projected all of her hopes and dreams and desires onto Escapade. And, you know, we learn, as we said, this sort of this sort of cruel relationships. Her husband um, called her names, just seems to be a generally bad guy. She feels that her mother was not supportive. And so that sort of forms the relationship. And again, this pendulum idea, she has gone to the extreme the other way. Uh, we learn that she seems to be uh, not ra raising her child in the healthiest manner. For example, she's encouraging her to, you know, study Hannah Montana at night. And everything seems to be geared towards how can this child be successful, maybe to the to the detriment of her, her well-being. For example, she tells... Bill Landry, the father of Cole Landry, the soon-to-be drafted, the soon-to-be NFL quarterback in Season 2, Episode 9, Cole Landry's draft day party, that Escapade got tattooed eyeliners at the age of seven. You know, certainly a ridiculous co comedic uh, plot device. But still, the idea is she has these end goals in mind, and that is what matters the most as opposed to what is best for the child to be sort of a rounded, well human being. It's all about this quote unquote success that's going to happen. She's going to hit it big. Escapade's going to hit it big and Lydia's going to be her manager, fame and fortune, and everything's going to be great. And so she has this, this dreamer mentality. She is a dreamer. She fits in with the crew, but again, it's not her through her own performance, through her own talents. It is her daughter and she is the quote-unquote manager. So she does have this sort of removal from reality and this unrealistic set of expectations, but there we go, that's her. And she so she fits right in with the crew. She fits in with Roman. She fits in with, with Kyle. She fits in with uh, Ron Donald, who's going to be the most successful businessman and all these things, although her ideas might be even more far-fetched. I don't know. I don't know, because we do meet Escapade in a Season 2, Episode 7, the Party Down Company picnic. And she can sing. I mean, she does have talent, so so who knows? Who am I to say? But anyway, the, we, we learn about the, this, these dreams, the desires that she has for her daughter to be successful. And by, you know, vicariously, she, she Lydia, being successful and then also getting wealth and fame through her daughter. And she is a common person, quote-unquote. I mean, she understands, she knows football, she understands barbecues, she's sort of a uh, a pop movie person, whereas Roman, you know, considers himself this sort of a connoisseur of of books and, uh, and, and, and movies and even adult films in his mind. Um, she is sort of just more your pop culture. She likes the hits. So that's what she knows. 
And a recurring thing with Lydia is that she misidentifies. She misidentifies actors. She misidentifies movies. And uh, very funny. Great delivery. Incredible performance. As always with Party Down. Great performance and great writing. She is recently divorced. So we talk about uh, her traits, which, which we have talked about. She's, she's a stage mom. She's seeking fame and fortune vicariously. Uh, she is incredibly lonely, and that's a recurrent theme throughout the episodes. Any opportunity, any sort of single man she sees who has some form of um, stability, I guess you would say, you know, season two, episode three, titled Nick DeSinto's Orgy Night, uh, Nick DeSinto becomes someone that she hones in on. He's divorced. He has a big home. He's an estate lawyer, and she thinks, okay, here's an opportunity. We see that season two, uh, episode nine, Cole Landry's draft party, draft day party. Bill Landry has is divorced. His girlfriend, Rihanna, has recently left him. She's going for that. And then ultimately season two, episode 10, Constance Carmel's wedding. That is where she actually begins a relationship, it appears, with Bolas Lagash, who is at that time the owner of Party Down and soon to be divorced. So she makes it very clear. I mean, she explicitly tells Casey Klein in episode three, the Nick DeSinto episode, that she is lonely. She has not had uh, relations in some time. And so there is an element of uh, desperation by Lydia. And another kind of defining trait is, at least she says verbally, she's practical, she's pragmatic. She becomes the, the opposite, uh, the foil to uh, Jane Lynch's character, uh, Constance Carmel, who is the, the wild uh, dreamer, follow your heart, uh, has lived this almost unreal life of wild adventures. And Lydia instead is practical. She says it's about getting insurance. It's about having you know, TV, it's about having your rent paid, certainly all things that are the bedrock of our American life. Uh, but at the same time, she is not practical because she has the, these wild dreams uh, for success by escapade. And then ultimately, in season two, episode 10, knowing that Bolas Lagash is soon to be divorced and soon to be broke, she still goes for it because she is following her heart in spite of what she said as her sort of philosophy. Uh, and then sometimes just just absolutely wild um, her belief and dreams of how one thing's going to lead to another to success. For example, season two, episode two, the Precious Lights preschool auction. She believes if she can get this lunch with Tom Hanks, then he's going to see es Escapade and that's going to be the big break and everything's going to be great. And so we uh, we learn very, very early on there is a, a sort of a delusion and a, and a disassociation with reality at times. At times not, at times yes. She is unfiltered. She is certainly unguarded. She will go up to anyone and, and sort of lay out her life story, people she barely knows. She just, she puts it out there. And we talked about poor parenting, very disturbing, getting eyeliner, you know, your child seven years old, uh, tattooed eyeliners. Obviously you can't do that in the real world. Please don't. But we also learn there is a ruthlessness in her. And this really comes out uh, later in the, in the season. Season 2, Episode 7. She has been fired as manager by Escapade, her daughter. And 
she's so dead set on being the manager, on being there when Escapade hits it big, that she she cuts Kyle Bradway's $300 shirt. She blackmails him in order to get the opportunity to manage Escapade again, which she does. She gets her even a, a, a gig. She gets her a job as, as a singing shoe, uh, an advertising job. And then she gets her daughter to do a 50-50 management deal. So we see there is a ruthlessness. There is a desperation. And again, season two, episode nine, Cole Landry's draft day party, Cole Landry's draft position is floundering. She steps up. She gets uh, Lizzie Kaplan's character, Casey Klein, to pretend to be Cole's girlfriend. And in doing so, a job that would have paid $1,000, she tells Casey, pays 500 she keeps the rest so we see there is a ruthlessness there what are the high points of the character well i think from the character's perspective season two episode seven the party down company picnic is the high point because not only does she solidify her role as escapades manager with an exclusive deal for two years she gets escapade an actual job working uh, as a singing shoe in an advertisement and she gets Escapade to agree to a 50-50 split of the money. So she sees real tangible success and, and something has happened. There is a job. Escapade is going to have some job in the entertainment business or the associated uh, field, I guess. I'm not sure how you would classify that. But yes, so it's, a, it's an actual job performing singing. I think from our perspective, from my perspective as the viewer, that episode is also the low point for the reasons I just said. You see this ruthlessness, uh, you see disturbing uh, lack of parenting, and it's all about this end game of success for Escapade, quote-unquote, Lydia as the manager. So I think that episode, season two, episode seven, is both the high point and the low point for the character. Uh, another high point, I guess, would be season two, episode eight, Joel Munt's big deal party from the character's perspective. She says, this is a real Hollywood party. I'm here. Uh, you know, she thinks she's asking for makeup. It ends up being cocaine and hilarity ensues. And I do mean that because it's a very funny episode. The performance is incredible. The writing's great. And that is a high point, I guess, from for me as a viewer. Let me also call this as a favorite moment because there's a, there's a whole series of interactions with um, a character who the credits call Scott but it's played by the actor Andre Royo, who you might know as uh, Bubbles from The Wire. Uh, and he is, I guess, a producer himself. And they're talking about this upcoming show, Pride and Prejudice. She thinks he's Wesley Snipes. And it's just this, you know, performance at a 12 going back and forth. And it's very funny. And I think it's one of the best moments of that character's, um, that character's journey comedy wise and then also the uncle fuzzy i think that's that's my very favorite moment season two episode two precious lights preschool auction she's giving this sort of keystone foundational story about her past and the deadpan way she says it and you can see the uh, the it looks like the other performers the other actors are barely holding it in and in fact there's a on the dvd there's a blooper reel and i believe that's one of the points where they're just breaking up laughing but the, the, the deadpan performance by Megan Mullally is, is, is just top-notch, very funny, exciting that she's coming back. So, to wrap up this part of it, the high point, ultimately, I think, for this character is 
season two, episode 10, the, the wedding in that she ends up, it appears starting a relationship. And in spite of what her saying about being practical, she says that she's attracted to this guy. She likes this guy. She's desperately lonely and bolus Lagash, even though he's falling apart, he appears to soon to be broke and divorced. It doesn't matter. She follows her heart. She does the things she says she's not going to do, and she does, and she seems to be happy at the end. So we'll call that the high point. So having said that, let's switch gears. Let's do what we have done with every character, and let's at least we'll go through each episode she's in, 10 episodes, season two, and we'll at least touch on uh, her journey. Now, I'm not gonna say, we're not going to talk about every single thing that happens, but just kind of the some of the key points, and we'll see the progression of the character and then ultimately, let's wrap it up with some lessons and conclusions. So here we go. Okay, well, here we go. Let's go through the episodes. It's one season. That was her history until Friday, February 24th, 2023. When the Lydia Duntry story continues. Season 2, Episode 1, Jackal Olnassis Backstage Party. Uh, we get the introduction. Here she is. She's a new member on the team. Now, the show picks up, I think, what, six months or so, or six months to a year after the end of the first season. And so she, Lydia, has been working. And in fact, Casey returns, Casey Klein, and that is... In her mind, the new person, although Casey is not new to us, the viewer, we learn right away that Lydia is very unguarded. She just lays out her personal history to Casey. There is a great chemistry between Lizzie Kaplan and Megan Mullally. The Casey Klein and Lydia Dunfrey characters click. Every scene with them together is gold. You know, he's Casey being just sort of disgusted by the unguarded nature of Lydia and the things that she's saying. And also it looks like Lizzie Kaplan trying not to laugh because the deadpan, the, the, just the delivery of, of Megan Mullally's is, is incredible. So funny right from the beginning. And it, it's brilliantly written in that this sort of personal meeting between Casey and Lydia becomes a info dump, a backstory dump of, uh, uh, Lydia, we learn about her being divorced. We learn that her husband is, uh, you know, misogynistic, racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic. That's what it, that's the implication of, of, of the story being told. I think it's pretty clear. Just great exposition. We learn about her daughter escapade. We learn that she sings, she dances, she acts, she wants to be a comedian. And so the, the, the stage mom, the dreams, the hopes, the sort of disassociation from reality, all that is is there from the beginning. And she also is is nosy. We, we learned that early on. I don't think I've mentioned that yet, but she likes being in the middle of the action. She likes being in people's business. She learns about Casey and, and Henry's uh, past and their relationship. And so she, she puts herself in there and she, you know, I'll, I'll do the sign if you're in trouble. And that becomes a funny kind of recurring device, I guess, throughout the episode the misunderstanding of the sign. She doesn't mean it, but she does. And so Lydia's sort of always there in the background and very funny introduction and, and so well written. 
it fits in perfectly and it adds this new element to the story and to the, the cast that we haven't had before. And I just think it makes season two even better than season one as great and brilliant as season one is season two, I think just goes to a next level. And that's my view. Who knows what'll happen in season three. Stay tuned. So we learn a lot about her. We learn about her open unguarded nature, even at the end when uh, Jackal Onassis played by Jimmy Simpson has pretending has pretended to be Dennis, the bartender. And he's quote unquote fired, even though he never really worked there. And she puts her head on the you know security guard's shoulder. Poor Dennis. Great moment. And it sets up the character. Now we know who this is. This is a folksy, unguarded, bizarre uh, woman who is, you know, stage mom. She's going to be a manager. She is a manager. Uh, she's left her her hometown. She's left her past to pursue Escapade's uh, career, as it were. This you know, she's on the phone, study Hannah Montana is what she's, she's giving uh, incredible instructions to her daughter. Anyway, very funny. So right from the beginning, boom, I think it's a home run. Lydia fits in perfectly and the show is off and running, which leads to season two, episode two, the Precious Lights preschool auction. We get even more backstory here. We get the, uh, the Uncle Fuzzy story. So the sort of keystone psychological event in the Lydia Dunfrey uh, history and her psychology. Her mother did not send the letter she wrote to Uncle Fuzzy, which I assume is like a TV show when she was a kid, for the opportunity to be picked for a tickle, I think she says, on, on her birthday. And because of, you know, the mom says it was a waste of stamp to send it. Because of that, as I said, the pendulum shift. She's going to do whatever it takes for her daughter to be successful to the detriment, it, it certainly appears, of her daughter's uh, well-being and maturation. So we learn, and, and we learn about, and I've, as I've mentioned, this Tom Hanks uh, alleged uh, meet. We know that uh, Leonard Stiltskin, the producer, has offered, quote-unquote, a lunch to to facilitate a lunch with Tom Hanks. We know that's not actually true, so he has to bid and win it himself. Lydia sees it. She thinks it's an opportunity to facilitate Escapade's big break. If Escapade could only have this lunch with Tom Hanks, he would see that she's a star and they'd be happily ever after. That seems incredibly unlikely. Let's put it, I guess it's not impossible, but it seems incredibly unlikely. But number one, she doesn't have the money to do it. She talks about selling her uh, her car. And as Roman correctly points out, uh, that's certainly not going to be enough to pay it. And Henry steps in, knowing that it's not real, that there's not really a lunch to try to help. She misinterprets this as sort of him just trying to spoil her dreams uh, and, 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 and disillusion her or spread disillusionment. And that's not really what it is. But anyway, that, that's sort of the Henry character, isn't it? Even when he means well, he ends up uh, seeming to be the bad guy in someone's eyes. It's it's very funny. Okay, so there we go. Uh, we learn also she has a cast. Now, in real in real life, as I talked about, um, the sort of story from the Vulture Fest, from the reunion, she had actually, she, Megan Mullally, had actually broken her wrist. So they wrote it into the show. We see... Lydia in the cast and, and it's explained that it's due to trust falls with her daughter. So we sort of learn the insanity 
of the, the depths of the insanity of the Lydia character. Uh, and we see, uh, and that becomes a running theme, a running joke in the show, is Henry sort of not acknowledging the broken wrist, the cast, and still giving her assignments regardless of her her cast until the very end when it gets acknowledged. And then at the end, to sort of get quote-unquote revenge, she helps Ron pretending to have relations, and that ends up facilitating the end of Ron's relationship with his girlfriend, and it gets Henry in trouble with the head of the preschool. Poor Henry, right? Anyway, okay, on to season two, episode three. As I said, it's titled Nick DeSinto's Orgy Night, and we learn the depth sort of of her loneliness. She explicitly says to Casey that it's been a long time since she's had relations with uh, uh, with anyone, and she just lays it out there. She is lonely, and she sees Nick DeSinto, the estate lawyer who's recently divorced in a big house and hosting this party. She sees it as an opportunity. And she goes for it. She uh, just really throws him, throws herself at Nick uh, in very awkward moments. Very funny. Thomas Lennon playing Nick DeSinto rejects her, but really funny interactions. And also the the, the performance by Tom, Thomas Lennon, I'll talk about more at the end, in the top five. Uh-oh, there's a hint. Does he make the top five? Hmm, stay tuned and find out. The top five guest stars, stay tuned and find out. Well, the way he just he's he's talking with her, but he's also just looking right past her, and she doesn't pick up on this. But it's clear that he has no interest in her, but she presses on anyway. Let's let's just say that. You also you know the sadness of the divorce. She talks about dying alone, and you can see the pain that she's gone through. And then she tries to, you know, she tries to push through it with a smile. Another thing that comes out in this episode is sort of a recurrent theme of her misidentifying pop culture references she thinks Lindsay lohan was in eyes wide shut etc and it is a funny gag we particularly see in season two episode eight joel munt's big deal party but also season two episode five steve gutenberg's birthday where she thinks steve gutenberg is ted danson so there we go on to the next season two episode four the funeral episode, James Ellison funeral, one of the most brilliantly written episodes to, to have something funny, but also profound in a, in, a, in a half hour comedy taking place at a funeral. And we learn that she believes in ghosts. She has lost her earring, an earring that is important to her because Escapade gave it. She lost it in the area of the casket. We will learn in the end it fell into the mouth of the of the deceased James Ellison, his corpse, which is on display. And she is totally weirded out. She doesn't want to be by it. She tells a story that she believes her friend Peg had a fiancé that um, haunted her, as in Peg, after Peg accidentally shot the fiancé. And so we don't really get any specifics of what that looked like or why, but we just know that's, in her mind, that's what happened. And so... You know, she believes in ghosts. Now, I understand certainly her uh, respect for the dead because she doesn't want to be digging through the casket. She doesn't want to touch the corpse necessarily. But it goes a step further. We learn that she explicitly believes in ghosts as a result of Peg's fiancé allegedly haunting Peg after a hunting accident. Uh, we see her awkwardness. 
she walks up in the funeral and asks the daughter of the deceased, James Ellison, if he was murdered. And she doesn't seem like she, she means ill by it. She just doesn't seem to know how to make appropriate conversation. We also see a recurring theme of she acts as if she is a guest. She starts mingling with the widow and Henry asks if anyone needs a drink and she jumps in. Oh, yes, I'd like something to drink. And so uh, we throw out and that is a recurring um, kind of device is throughout these different parties. When she is working, she still sort of plops herself in and acts as if she is a guest as well. Very funny. And we uh, learn, again, the depth of her ex-husband, you know, him being a, an award-winning racist, apparently. Uh, we don't know exactly what that in, entails specifically, but it makes it very clear that uh, her ex-husband, Ed, was just not a nice guy. And, uh, yeah, that's it, really. Uh, for season two, episode four. Let's move on to the great, the famous Steve Gutenberg's birthday, season two, episode five. And as I said, um, this sort of recurring theme of her misidentifying pop culture, you know, films or actors, she thinks Steve Gutenberg is Ted Danson and calls him Ted throughout. But it also, it works so much because of the Steve Gutenberg performance. He's not really listening to her. He's talking sort of at her and he humors her and it doesn't, does it register that she's calling him Ted? Who knows? He doesn't really care what she thinks. He it, she is an opportunity for him to talk about himself. And that's what he does. He talks about his art, uh, the art he owns, the jokes, the references, his past, all these things. And she sort of, sometimes she seems like she gets it, sometimes she doesn't. And we see the depth, again, this recurring theme, her, her dream, her dreamer nature. She's talking about what she will do when she becomes famous, when Escapade hits it big, what's she going to do with her millions. She said that she would... Uh, buy a hundred horses uh, she would throw a party she would get a new pair of shoes and steve is quote-unquote prepping her to to be rich and famous so that you know she doesn't um fall apart as so many do as he says they can't handle the wealth and fame and so these these working folks you know he he's he's walking around talking about his wealth and what to do and all these things so we we just see this sort of the Two, two people disassociated reality. Steve Gutenberg not really appreciating the position these folks are in. And then also Lydia, you know, again, this she's escapade's going to hit it big. And then she's going to be rich and everything's going to be great. Which is the very nature of this of this show. We learn her neighbor, Fulgencia Gomez. She brings her to the, to the, um, to the party. Very funny interactions between the two. Fulgencia, Miss, Mrs. Gomez, she actually seems to know what is happening. She has an awareness. She knows who Steve Gutenberg is. She calls out the art for what it is. And then great uh, juxtaposition with Lydia, who sometimes seems like she's there, sometimes not. For example, after the first uh, performance of Roman's script, the scene that is performed, it's clearly a space adventure. And Lydia's, you know, I love a nautical story. You know, is she really there? Who knows? What What is Lydia ever thinking? Sometimes it seems like she's there. Sometimes she just seems like she's in outer space. And that's the nature of the character. She also, you know, she's emotional. She cries after the after the, set, the rewritten scene where, where they're really going for it. She cries. And to her credit, she's always very supportive, whether it's Roman, whether it's Henry's performance, whether it's Kyle 
learning that Jumping Boys has gone to DVD. She's still supportive. Kyle's uh, wild uh, headshot. She's still supportive. You know, she she's very positive. She's very supportive. All right. Now, the final five episodes of season two. Okay, season two, episode six. Not on your wife opening party. And this is the farce episode. Teleplay by John M. Baum. And it's directed by the great David Wayne of the state. Very heavy state episode. Of course, uh, Ron Donald is played by Ken Marino. And we have Carrie Kenny Silver as a performer in the ensemble that is performing Not on Your Wife. So, the state the greatest sketch comedy show of all time from the early 90s on MTV. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's been discussed on this podcast, as you would imagine. So the farce episode, Lydia uh, is sort of a catalyst. Her role in this episode is to push forward the misunderstandings. This is a series of misunderstandings. The first thing we know, of course, misunderstanding, we learn that Lydia misunderstands many common uh slang terminology i guess you would say she doesn't understand what cougar or bear means and this has led to some struggles in her dating life we learn that she has some online profile and there has been a mix-up she has misunderstood some terminology now her as a catalyst for misunderstandings it's really twofold one uh, ron misunderstands lydia's comments about different types of women and different types of men and sort of her compliments of Ron. He, in fact, has uh, frosting on his rear end. He catches her looking. He misunderstands. She doesn't say anything. Wackiness ensues. Well, actually, it ends up culminating in Ron just straight up lunging at her and kissing her. In self-defense, she sprays him with pepper spray and burns his eyes. So... That's one of the misunderstandings involving Lydia and other people in this episode. And then the other is she is the catalyst of misunderstanding for uh, Henry, Casey, and the director of Not On Your Wife. Henry and Casey have made out. We see that happen, and Casey is wearing the um, outfit, the costume worn by the lead actor in the show, not on, or in the performance of Not On Your Wife, who happens to be the director's wife. Lydia misunderstands what she's seeing. She thinks that Henry is making out with the director's wife, or unbeknownst to her, the actor is the director's wife. And she also walks in on Kyle wearing a gorilla mask, being uh, intimate with someone, and thinks that's Henry also. And so she makes these comments to Casey, trying to tell Casey, well, maybe Henry's not so, not in a relationship. And, and at that time, he's still in a relationship with Uta Banked, played by Kristen Bell. Well, this leads to a series of events. The director thinks that it, it's his wife. This leads to a big confrontation. And of course, we learn that the director's wife is, in fact, having an affair. It's just not with Henry. It's with this woman who is sort of the main financier or support of the liar of Orpheus Theater. And... Well, all's well that ends well. But anyway, that's Lydia's role. Lydia, Lydia's role is this catalyst of misunderstanding. And season two, episode seven, Party Down, Company Picnic. This is a big episode for Lydia. We meet Escapade, her very young daughter, 
who is an excellent singer. We do see that. She sings the national anthem very well. But the episode starts with some tension. Lydia's distraught. She has been fired as Escapade's manager. And so we see these blurred lines of parenting and management. She does not parent. She does not she does not take the actions that a parent should take with their child. Instead, she's sort of walking on eggshells because she wants to be back in Escapade's good graces uh, as her manager, including not intervening when she sees the child uh, drinking a beer. So we see that the the, the corrupting nature that this dream uh, has, uh, it, it, it's gone. It's obviously good to have hopes. It's good to have aspirations, but we also have to have our feet on the ground, don't we? And we have to fulfill our responsibilities and obligations. And here, Lydia is not doing that. Instead, she is subservient to this dream, I guess, living in Candyland, as it were. And we need her feet on the ground. This child needs a parent. So something happens in this, a breakthrough. As I said, this is both, I think, for the character, one of the best moments, but for us as a viewer, or for me as a viewer, her low moment as well. She gets this advice from Roman, which is you have to be ruthless. You have to be the bigger jerk to succeed in Hollywood. So she takes the opportunity. She sees that Escapade has bonded with Kyle. And in turn, she she manipulates, she blackmails Kyle. She cuts his shirt, his $300 shirt. And she says that she will expose a secret he is keeping from his manager if Kyle does not influence Escapade to sing the national anthem, which she does. This results in Escapade getting a advertising opportunity as a singing shoe. This leads to a reunion. Escapade takes Lydia back as manager. But again, this ruthlessness, it's a 50-50 deal. Lydia, who is not doing any of the actual work she's facilitating, she's going to get 50% of what Escapade makes. So Lydia can be happy. She has She is manager again, and there's a tangible thing happening in escapades career but from our perspective a very low point she is failing to meet her parental obligations and also she's just preying on her daughter taking 50 percent of what escapade will receive for her performance and for her talents okay next as i mentioned earlier very funny season two episode eight joel Munt's big deal party this is the funniest lydia episode she has her hair done. She's wearing contacts. She's excited to be at a quote-unquote real Hollywood party. Of course, we know this party is actually just Joel, Joel Munt facilitating revenge against uh, Roman De Beers for firing him in the past. And Joel's hit it big. He's got the rights to a script uh, for one of Roman's heroes and author who is there at the party. And Lydia is just excited to be at a quote-unquote real Hollywood party. She goes to get her nose powdered. Of course, she means makeup, but this leads to a misunderstanding. Someone offers her cocaine. She goes for it, and boom, Lydia is off. This is her at a 12. She's going wild the whole episode. She sort of has a bartender role, and it's very, very funny stuff. She thinks that... Um, uh, Paul Shearer's character, Joel Munt, is actually Ed Harris. She thinks Andre Royal is, is uh, Wesley Snipes. And that's the funniest part of the episode for Lydia, maybe the whole season, when she's going back and forth with uh, Andre Royal's character, Scott, talking about 
this cop show that's going to happen pride and prejudice kyle walks up and does this southern uh impersonation it's all very funny they're going wild talking about the possible plot elements it, it's really top-notch stuff uh she's constantly on the phone with uh escapade saying all these all these famous people she's seeing in the end the payoff is she goes she's crashing she's getting depressed so she goes seeking more cocaine and someone offers her actual makeup when she has to powder her nose of which she's mad about and that sort of ends the episode another funny moment we learned about revenge supposedly someone made her mad and so she put uh or she put a fish in the car radiator and then she ended up having to carpool in that same car so it was a cautionary tale be careful about revenge because you may end up in the car in which you put a fish in the radiator so who laughs last, right? No one, I guess. Season 2, Episode 9. This is Cole Landry's draft day party. As we talked about earlier, this is a moment where we learn the depths of the depravity, I guess. Her, her stage mom-ness. She had Escapade get tattooed eyeliners at the age of 7. Uh, very disturbing stuff. Cole Landry, who is... This is his day to be drafted into the nfl she bonds with cole's father bill a divorcee whose girlfriend rihanna has recently left him bill is sort of um, lydia's counterpart bill has done all it takes to make cole quote-unquote successful not working having the kid you know year-round train they bond in this mentality of success for the child being success for them at all costs but we did have some funny moments which is nobody on the party down crew understands what the nfl draft is or how it works they also you know sort of look down on the food and this is just regular party food and so great line about do any of you live in america it, it, very funny stuff so it's a highlight cole is getting passed over he's not getting drafted his 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 uh, sexual preference is being exposed. She jumps in, and she has this idea. Casey will pretend to be his girlfriend, and again the ruthlessness. Because in fact we learned Casey was going to be paid a thousand dollars. Lydia told Casey it was five hundred dollars. She kept the rest. Another fifty fifty split. That's her managerial style. Uh, in the end. She is dumped. She, as in Lydia, is dumped by Bill. Literally. Rihanna, his girlfriend, comes back. Lydia, who had been sitting on his lap, he dumps her from a lap. And then the episode ends. Which leads to season two, episode ten. For 13 years, we've been calling it the final episode. But no longer, because on Friday, February 24th of 2023, Party Down returns on the Stars Network with season three. But... For the past 13 years, the very last episode. And what this episode flushes out is Lydia's philosophy, right? So she she is she's pitted against Jane Lynch's character, Constance Carmel. It's Constance Carmel's wedding. And right away, Constance is threatened by Lydia. The idea that the crew has gone on and she has quote unquote been replaced, she just rejects that. And even though uh Constance soon-to-be husband Howard flirts with all the women we meet she only seems to be upset about him flirting with 
and by flirt, I really mean harass, I guess you would say. But the only person that she feels threatened by, she as in Constance, is Lydia. So much so that she threatens to cut Lydia. A threat of physical violence. And Lydia just smiles through it. And that's one of those moments of her being just really disassociated with reality. Does it? Does she think she's joking? Does she know it's real? I mean, she barely knows Constance. She just met her that day. But Lydia just smiles through it. We have this head-to-head Constance says you should follow your heart. Lydia says it's about being practical. It's about having insurance, having your rent paid, having cable TV, or now streaming, whatever you want to say. And while it makes sense, she doesn't follow her own philosophy because the opportunity presents itself. Bolas Lagash, who is at that point owner after uh, the prior owner, uh, Alan Duck, I'm sorry, had been uh, convicted of fraud or something. So Bolas Lagash got the company. Well, he's getting divorced. He's going to lose everything. And in spite of that, she still goes with them. As when the show ends, it seems clear that uh, they're starting a relationship and she's happy. She's a lonely person. It's somebody to love and she's going for it. Regardless of him not having those three things, that she just talked about. Whether or not he does have them, we don't know. And then to totally sort of flip it, the show ends with uh, Lydia commenting on Ron and his new girlfriend and saying that it's like a fairy tale, which was Constance's line from not just earlier in the episode, but also season one, episode six. That's a callback all the way to the Taylor Stiltskin Sweet 16 party. So there we go. That's Lydia. That's her her 10 episodes. A lot happens with her because she is so open. She's constantly giving backstory. She's constantly in the middle of things. She's, you know, putting herself out there as if she were a guest. Well, taking that step back, what are the lessons we learn? I guess beware of the pendulum. She felt her mom wasn't supportive, so she swung the other way to the extreme in which she's neglecting her duties as a parent all for the the hope and dream that escapade is going to hit it big uh and then she's going to be vicariously rich and and, and all these things or directly rich because she's going to take half of her money or so, so we see in the episodes also you know check your motives why is she really doing these things is it because she wants what's best for a child no she, I mean, there's a greed. I mean, maybe on some level, yes, she does want her child to be successful. But when the opportunity presents itself, she's capitalizing. She's taking 50%. And then, ultimately, the stability arguments she talks about, those make sense. And there's a lot of validity to that. But what can you really live with? When the situation presents itself, she goes for it. She goes for it with Bolas Lagash, even though... He is apparently going to be broken. It's going to break those rules she talked about. So while the stability arguments make logical sense, ultimately it's your life. What can you live with? Things to think about. Thank you, Megan Mullally. Thank you, uh, John Inbaum, Dan Etheridge, Paul Rudd, and Rob Thomas. Thank you for creating the show. So with that in mind, in many ways we've closed the door. We've closed the book on... The deep dive of those six and actually seven main characters that we saw and we experienced in seasons one and two. So it's on to season three. But before we do that, let's take one final look back in a world where we don't know what happens in season three. And let's give you or let me give you my top five guest stars coming up next.
first. Just want to touch base as we always do and make a pitch for the Louisville Legal Aid Society. I don't work for them. I'm not in, you know, I'm not asked to do this by them. I'm sure they don't know that I'm doing this. I doubt very much they listen to it. But anyway, having said that, it's a a pitch for a charitable donation. If you feel it in your heart, now these are very difficult economic times, inflation, gas prices, so I know this might be a real challenge. But if you find it in your heart, if you find you have enough money to spare, please consider donating to the Louisville Legal Aid Society. It is an incredible service that provides legal services to low-income individuals in need, including the homeless or the unhoused, veterans, domestic violence victims. To donate, you go to yourlegalaid.org, no E, yourlegalaid.org, or you can go to yourlegalaid.org slash donate, or you can go to www.laslou.org, and I think it'll take you to the same website, yourlegalaid.org. Y-O-U-R-L-E-G-A-L-A-I-D dot org. The Louisville Legal Aid Society, a great organization, so important. Again, they haven't asked me to do this. This is just something I'm, I'm pitching to you. If you feel it in your heart, here's an opportunity to, to help. Okay, onward we go. Well, before we get into the top five guest stars for seasons one and two of Party Down, let's touch on the fact that we know Lizzie Kaplan is not a regular cast member in season three. No Casey Klein in season three. Will there be an appearance, a cameo? I don't know. I don't know that answer. Maybe some people do. We know she's not a regular cast member. So, something we've done on this show... The very first, this is a tease, listen to all the other episodes. The Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe, in tribute to America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan. This touches on the idea that the movie Save the Date from 2012 is sort of the keystone or the foundation of the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe. That all of her other roles and characters and projects, films, TV shows, that they in some way relate to either a shared actor with Save the Date, a shared plot point with Save the Date, or that there is some other work that shares an actor or plot point that that it itself shares with Save the Date. So, for example, this is Party Down we're talking about. This is the Party Down only episode, so that's what we're going to talk about. I've got a number of things. I've got a couple projects here that I haven't mentioned yet. Every episode, there's been an, in, an installment and here we go. This is a Party Down special. Some things I have not seen yet. that I Well, now I have, obviously. But prior to the last episode, I had not seen. And as we know, Save the Date, one of the four main stars is Martin Starr, who plays Roman De Beers in Party Down. So Party Down relates to Save the Date because they both have Martin Starr. So anything that ties into Party Down automatically has that connection that link in uh, to, to save the date. And someday someone will listen to all this and, and make like a diagram. Or they won't, you know. But it's possible. It's possible. Maybe I'll be that person. 
You never can tell, can you? So I've got some things to name off that I've seen that have party down connections. And of course, again, party down connects to save the date because they both star Lizzie Kaplan and Martin Starr. So Fleischman is in trouble. That is a show on Hulu based on the book. Lizzie Kaplan, excellent, excellent performance, of course, as Libby. And one thing to note, I mean, there's sort of a direct connection with Save the Date. Both characters are sort of struggling with societal roles. But Party Down Connection, there's a real emphasis on parents trying to procure their children's future in high society. Well, guess what? Andrea Savage, the original uh, Casey Klein in the Unaired Pilot, which I've never seen. She uh, has that role. Party Down Season 2, Episode 2, Precious Lights Preschool Auction. That's all Andrea Savage's character trying to get a letter recommendation for her son to get into this fancy uh, preschool. And in the show Fleischman in Trouble, Claire Dane's character, Rachel Fleischman, heavy, heavy emphasis on getting her kids into sort of these best schools and these opportunities as well. So we have that. We have that party down connection. Uh, mothers trying to get their kids ahead uh, socially with uh, the best schools, et cetera, et cetera. Inside Job on Netflix. I talked last time about part one. Well, there's a part two. And I guess that's it because I think it's canceled. So part two, this conspiracy theory, comedy. There is a connection to party down. And what is it? Well, guess what, folks? Adam Scott voices a character who has a relationship with Lizzie Kaplan, her character. Get it? Party down, Casey and Henry. Don't you see it? There it is. Of course, that also happens in the movie Bachelorette, a really excellent movie. Another one. Uh, There's a show called Comedy Bang Bang, which was sort of a, I guess, scripted, unscripted, I don't know, comedy interview show. Uh, season three, episode seven. Is the Lizzie Kaplan episode very, very funny, actually. I hadn't seen that show before, and I watched it for this. I thought it was very funny. What's the Party Down connection? Well, Paul Shearer, who is Joel Munt, Party Down, season two, episode eight, in Joel Munt's Big Deal Party. He plays the role of a creepy celebrity photographer. There you go. There's another one, Comedy Bang Bang. There's a show called Newsreaders. And that was like an Adult Swim type fake 60 Minutes show. And season one, episode two, uh, the host of the fake kind of 60 Minutes show is played by Mather Zickel. Who is that? That's the gentleman who plays the creepy adult film producer in season one, episode five of Party Down. Uh, Sensation Awards After Party, the person who tries to uh, solicit Ron to get into adult films. There is also a show called The Life and Times of Tim. It's an animated show. And uh, I saw that on HBO Max, season one, episode eight. Lizzie Kaplan voices Carla, the girlfriend of a guy named Frank, who struggles with sobriety issues. Well, guess what? He goes to uh, a support group such as AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's a support group. And the titular Tim uh, goes to support Frank. How does that connect to Party Down? Well, you already know. Season 2, Episode 5, Steve Gutenberg's birthday. Ron Donald 
has his AA friends or his sponsor come to try and fix a uh, fish tank. So we got the connection there. The support group, sobriety issues, AA, season one, episode eight, connected to Party Down. Party Down connected to Save the Date through Martin Starr. And uh, there's a show called Undeclared. And that is a Judd Apatow show from, I guess it started in 2001. It was a Fox show. It's got Seth uh, Rogen in it. It's got um, Charlie Hunnam in it. And she is credited as the character, quote unquote, beautiful girl. And I, I got this show on Amazon just to be able to give this entry just for you. And folks, I don't know where she is. I don't think that she has a speaking line or maybe she didn't. It got cut. I don't know. She's in the credits. I think maybe there's like a background character who's talking to Charlie Hunnam's character who um, she would later co-star with in the movie Frankie Goes Boom. But anyway. I don't know. <laughs> She's credited there. I have to be totally honest with you. I don't, I'm not entirely sure where she is in it. Having said that, uh, what's the connection? Well, that whole episode, the, the series pilot is premised on a party, a party at a um, college dorm. And so party, party down, huh? Huh? There's also another weird connection, which is um, uh, the main female protagonist's name is Lizzie. And she's, um, Got a thing with two different guys, uh, and that kind of ties into Save the Date, right? Of course, that character's name is uh, Sarah. She's left the one guy because she didn't want to commit to him. And then the great and wonderful Jonathan comes along in the movie Save the Date, but she won't commit to him. Why? Well, find out and watch, and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, watch Save the Date from 2012. And then finally, a movie called The People We Hate at Weddings on Amazon. Who's the female lead in it? Yeah, that's right. Kristen Bell. Who plays, of course, Uta Banked in Party Down. Both seasons. Season 1, episode 10, we first meet her in the uh, Stenheisen Pong wedding reception. And then we see her again in uh, season 2, episode 7, the Party Down Company picnic. So there we have a direct connection. But also, just to add a little more to it, uh, Lizzie Kaplan's character is the wife of the person that Kristen Bell is having a, a relationship with. So just like in Party Down, we've got the one male, and we've got them in relationships with Kristen Bell's character and Lizzie Kaplan's character. Think about it. It's all there. All the pieces are there. The shared universe is real. Also, Lizzie Kaplan's character crashes a party. That's right. It's on Amazon. So let me just run through that. Fleischman's in Trouble. That's Hulu. Inside Job. That's Netflix. Comedy Bang Bang, I think that's AMC Plus. Newsreaders, I think that was Adult Swim. Anyway, I had to buy that one on Amazon. Life and Times of Ted, I watched that on HBO Max. Undeclared, that was the one I had to get on Amazon. And The People We Hate at Wedding, that's an actual Amazon movie. The shared universe is real. It keeps going, it keeps growing. And one final thing I want to touch on, this is not Party Down related, but I watched a movie called Crashing from the year 2007. Campbell Scott is the lead along with Lizzie Kaplan uh, and another uh, actor named Isabella Miko. And it was a really good movie. Now, it's really poorly, cheaply shot, I guess. It sort of looks like a camcorder. I don't know. Maybe I got it on a DVD, okay? I got it on DVD, and the advertisement on the box sort of makes it seem like it's this, I don't know, rom-com or the image portrayed of is not really what the movie's about. What the movie really is about, uh, Campbell Scott's character is a struggling author. He had been successful 
uh, with a book that got popular and now he's struggling to write a follow-up. And so crashing is sort of, he's, his, his creativity is crashing. He, his uh, wife has kicked him out. His marriage is crashing. Um, and he, sort of his uh, reality is crashing because he's, he's interacting with uh, Lizzie Kaplan character as well as uh, Isabella Miko's character. And he's sort of seeing a book writing itself through the interaction. And of course, he's actually, he's crashing on their couch. He's staying with them because he's been kicked out of his home. And uh, actually, I thought it was a really good movie. It's, it's, it's a book of, I mean, it's, it's about the creative process, I guess, and someone who has gone from having a uh, creative dry spell to sort of uh, getting into the well of creativity. And it's through having like life experiences. And he also gets to sort of mentor them, but also then has relations with them. But that becomes another avenue for them to be creative and to write about it and you see the different interpretations of it uh and by the way what's the connection with save the date well books i mean if you remember in save the date lizzie kaplan's character runs a bookstore she's a manager books are the uh thread throughout the movie crashing there's a lot of references to uh literature notes from underground by dostoevsky uh the metamorphosis by kafka but then he's an author. Everyone, the other two characters are trying to write. It's all about books. And um, I thought it was a really good movie, actually. But very, very low budget. The great Campbell Scott, who you know and I know, star of Singles, 1992, the Cameron Crowe movie. So that's crashing. I don't really have a party down connection on that one. That's the only one. The rest of them do. All right, there we go. Let's get on with it. I've hyped it up. Here we go. Top five guest stars from seasons one and two of Party Down. Okay, at number five. Folks, this was tough. This was very, very difficult. I thought five was the hardest to pick because there are so many excellent characters that are just kind of on this cut line. Uh, I went with... Thomas Lennon as Nick DeSinto, Season 2, Episode 3. Again, I'm, I'm biased, uh, lifelong fan of The State, the greatest sketch comedy show. Uh, it was on MTV, very influential. So I'm going to lean. I'm going to give him the bend for the doubt. Uh, Reno 911, uh, he's had a great career, been many funny things, very funny person. Having said that, he's great in this episode. It, this was a really hard one to pick, and this is where I'll say some honorable mentions because I was really torn. Enrico Colantoni as Gordon McSpadden. That's season one, episode one, which of course is the Willow Canyon homeowners annual party. That's an honorable mention. He's the miserable estate law attorney. He has such an important role because he kind of sets everything in motion. He's got the house. He's got the family. He's miserable. Henry has nothing. He's miserable. There's a back and forth with them trading places and it sets the tone for the whole series. So he was excellent. That's an honorable mention. Another honorable mention, Molly Parker as Melinda Weintraub, Season 1, Episode 9, James Rolfe, High School 20th Reunion. She's the class president or the alumni president. And, you know, she seems put together, but she's also, a, you know, she's, she's nervous. She's putting, you know, she wants everything to be right. And then you just see her sort of fall apart as it comes along. She's waiting for this, this one person to show up. It does. She falls apart as a person. Then she reaches out to Ron. She gets puked on. Uh, it's really, it's a really an incredible performance start to finish. 
And so those are honorable mentions. But back to Thomas Lennon and his Nick. This is the recently divorced estate uh, law attorney. And again, my criteria here, writing plus performance. This is a character that is, you know, desperate, although he's not, I don't know if he's aware of it, but that's certainly how he comes across. He's throwing this party. He sent out these invitations. He didn't really say what this party was. And then he gets there and he's upset that people are kind of taken aback by what he's suggesting. Uh, he's insecure, immature, creepy, um, oblivious, self-centered, and he pulls all these things off. The show stealer for me, his interactions with uh, the crew, particularly Lydia. Lydia's sort of laying her, her heart out. She's, you know, really saying how tough the divorce was, her being lonely. He's not picking up on it. He's looking right through her. He's not interested in what she's saying. She makes certain advances. You know, he is not into it. And um, very, very funny. Also, his interactions with Roman. He relies on Roman for help in getting the party into full gear. But at the same time, it's clear that he has no interest in, in having any, you know, relationship with Roman, friendship, spending time with him. The way he just looks past the crew. He's so dead centered. He, he's, 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 you know, just almost childlike. He's done all this, thrown this party. It's just for him. It's all this elaborate thing, and, and um, so well played by Thomas Lennon. The man throws, throws fits, uh, and it's all very funny. So that's number five. Number four. <sighs> Jimmy Simpson as Jackal Onassis, whose character's real name, he says, is uh, Arnold Sherling. That's season two, episode one, Jackal Onassis Backstage Party. And uh, again, maybe bias. I'm a big Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. He, of, of course, plays one of the McPoyles, re reoccurring character. Also a big fan of uh, Westworld Season 1. Uh, and he's prominent in that. If you haven't seen it, I guess I won't spoil what his character is. But anyway, um, this uh, sometimes, I you know, I think that this is number one. I think depending on the mood I'm in, I actually put this character number one. But sitting here today, I'm going to put it at four. Because it's the, the the top four is so uh, excellent, it's hard to it's hard to get movement past it. Now we'll see season three. Maybe there's some new big breakthroughs. We'll find out. But uh, just like in season one, episode one, the estate law homeowner who's miserable, we have uh, Jack Olnass is playing that same role. It's his, it's the backstage party. It's after a show. He's rich. He's successful. He's famous. All these pe all these women uh, are flocking to him. But he's discontent. He, he says he wants a regular life. He ends up switching places with Roman. He sort of um, manipulates Henry into allowing him to pretend to be Dennis the bartender because he says he'll get him fired, get the whole crew fired if they don't go along with it or tell anybody. And so he forces his way in. And it's interactions with Henry that are just priceless where he has this, this no, he, he does not have a concept of what Henry is going through, the struggles. And he, he's, you know, he wants this lesser life in his mind or, um, and, and, and undoubtedly, undoubtedly, there's something to the idea of being trapped by fame, something I can't relate to, you know, I, not being able to go to the store without being cited, something I'm probably you, the listener, are not able to relate to. So there's, there's, there's no doubt there's validity to the position and to each his own. And I think that the episode really touches on that. But what Henry nails about him, which seems to be the absolute truth, is he doesn't really want that regular life. He wants sort of the experience of the regular life, almost like a carnival ride, almost like a, you know, paying to have an experience. Um, 
sort of like uh, that song Common People by Pulp, you know, something along those lines. So great performance. He nails it. He plays these different roles of like pouting, but also, um, you know, he's gossipy. I mean, it's, it's excellent. Jimmy Simpson as Jack Onassis. That's number four. All right, number three, top three. These are heavy hitters now. Steven Weber as Ricky Sargulish or Sargulesh, season one, episode eight. Celebrate Ricky Sargulesh. What can you say about this? Uh, Steven Weber, uh, in this, he's he plays a, an Eastern European uh, alleged gangster with um, like an eye scar, his eyes partially shut. And he's recently been acquitted of murder. And we learn that's the reason for the celebration. And this performance is just absolutely wild. We learn he's um, he's a, he's a, an aspiring writer. He's also a celebrity worshiper, and uh, it appears, or or it's implied, a very violent man as well. Uh, and so, the the way that this character is able to be both funny and menacing is is what is so enduring. He is both threatening, and the crew seems rightly afraid of him. But also, for us, the viewer, the whole situation is very funny and the comedy does come through. And it's his interactions in particular. I like the way, he, you know, he, he tolerates Roman, but he makes it clear to Roman that uh, Roman will do what he says. But the funniest is his interaction with um, his girlfriend, Ula, who he proposes to. And just the total coldness and the disconnect of the, the supposed happiness of the proposal, but the way that the two interact with each other. I mean, it, it, it's, it's excellent. And his dancing, his scenes of dancing, put it over the top. Well done. Writing and performance. Steven Weber as Ricky Sargolesh. That's number three. Which leaves the top two. Are you ready? Prepare yourself. At number two, Steve Gutenberg as Steve Gutenberg. Season two, episode five, Steve Gutenberg's birthday. Uh, this is Steve Gutenberg as sort of a fictionalized version of himself. And this seems to be, I think, the most critically acclaimed performance, the, that Vulture reunion panel, which I highly recommend you watch. I think it's on YouTube. It's on their website. I think it's even a podcast on maybe Spotify or where else you can you can find it. He, he Steve Gutenberg comes on stage to talk about it. But the the performance is is so good. And the interactions with with the um, with the crew, who you know he's having a, as a party, and and what this really is is an opportunity for him to talk about himself. He's having these folks here. He has them come. He had to talk about himself. It it just becomes a way to show off his success, his wealth, his collection. Whether or not he consciously knows that's what he's doing, but that's clearly what he's doing. Uh, the party is an opportunity for him to talk about himself. Uh, he looks past the people he talks with. That's kind of a common theme. You know, these folks, we see it from their perspective. We're focusing on them, but the, the hosts and the guests sometimes just see them as total non-people. Look, and, and that's kind of the way it is here. The way he, he's talking with Lydia, but he's not really listening to her answers. He never corrects her on calling him uh, Ted, as in Ted Danson. And because I don't think it means anything to him. What she thinks doesn't mean anything to him. And so uh, there's also just this obliviousness with what he's saying, you know, talking about, oh, struggling and being broke and all that. That was the best times of his life. And they, you know, the crew correctly points out, you're saying that's better than the way you're living now or when you were the, you know, a huge movie star. And he stands corrected. 
and he sort of admits it. But anytime he kind of gets called on something, he just moves past it. It's brilliant. It's funny. Uh, his stage, his stage direction, the way he puts Roman in his place, it's also funny. It is worthy of all the critical acclaim it's received. Writing and performance, it's all brilliant. That teleplay is by uh, John Embaum. The episode was directed by Brian Gordon. Okay. Ready? Drum roll. At number one, the best guest star. Party Down, seasons one and two. Kristen Bell as Uta Banked. Appearances in season one, episode 10. Stenheiser Pong Wedding Reception and season two, episode seven. The Party Down Company Picnic. It's also implied that she's on the phone with Henry in season two, episode three, but we never hear her voice. Um, now, you might say, well, that's not fair. She has two appearances as opposed to one. Eh, maybe not, but it, she still wins, uh, in my opinion, in my, my view. And I would say that the first time I maybe watched the series, I didn't have her this high, maybe not even in the top five. But the more I've rewatched it, the more I'm just blown away by the performance. Uh, it is so funny. And th you have this... Um, recurring theme if you're really watching now if you're looking down at your phone maybe you missed this but she's got the earpiece the like sort of bluetooth earpiece that i don't think is as prominent anymore maybe people use the you know uh airpods or the like to, so the smaller sort of earpieces now but she's a constantly having a conversation with a person in front of her but then changing that conversation she's talking to somebody on her earpiece so there's always this back and forth the person talking to her doesn't know if she's talking to them or not and it it's hilarious every time. Uh, she is the opposite of the Party Down crew, and particularly the two team leaders we know, which is Ron Donald in season one, and then season two, uh, Henry Pollard. She's the leader of the team leader of the Valhalla Catering Crew, and she's apparently a former Party Down employee. But she's organized. She's no nonsense. She's effective as a leader. She's demanding. She's highly, highly competent. She's excellent at her job. And she's perhaps cold at times, but she's serious. And I say cold, but then at the same time, she ends up in a relationship with Henry, which she initiates. She makes the first move. Henry goes with it. And you see there are times between them when she sort of softens. But then instantly she'll switch back because she's got a job to do. It's just funny moment after funny moment. She nails it. Uh, she also sort of is the catalyst. She causes Ron to have a crisis I don't know how she causes it, but she she furthers the crisis he's having uh, at the the season one finale, and also she is is the catalyst for Henry to do some uh, introspection season two episode seven and decide does he go with the stable thing the stable relationship which is with Uda or does he go roll the dice as he say and go with uh, sort of the um, more uh, heartfelt I guess uh, relationship the thing that is maybe more passionate his relationship with Casey. And he ultimately rolls the dice, just like Lydia does. Uh, she goes with her heart and goes with Bolas Lagash instead of the quote-unquote practical thing. So that's another uh, point and another kind of theme throughout the show. But she's so excellent. Kristen Bell as Uta Banked. Well done writing and well done Kristen Bell. The number one guest star for seasons one and two. Well, there we have it. That's the end of this episode. And it's a special party down only episode with the exception of our LCSU entry. But this is it. 
this is it. The next uh, next few days, the season three will premiere for you and I, the common person to see. I know the critics have already seen it, but I have not. Uh, and so the world will change. This is the end of the pre-season three world. This is the, the last 13 years in which the Constance Carmel wedding was the final episode. No longer. So, I mean, what has happened has happened, but I think we may recontextualize based on what we see in season three. We'll find out. Hey, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for this, this journey of the deep dives on seasons one and two. We move forward. Don't crack up. Talk to you soon. Thank you.